So I, I read through this, and I read a lot of different writings about this first part of the chapter throughout the week. And I don't know about you, but do you ever read something and you get so involved in what you're reading that you don't take notes about what you're reading about? And the next thing I know, it's Saturday, and I have a blank piece of paper, well, a blank screen. Anyway, because to me, this is just, it's so full. Um, I, I almost want to teach on John chapter 1, verse 1 again, because they're, they're, which I did last week, if you weren't here. Um, because it, it's such a full chapter, it, it, and I'm going to read to you the first five verses, but there really is so much here. Um, and the interesting thing, and, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago before we started the Gospel of John, and I was reading the early fathers on this, and, and what they, they, were, they were saying that John must have had this incredible relationship with God to be able to understand these things, to be able to articulate them, and to write them down in the gospel. Particularly the first, uh, I, I mentioned the prologue, which is what is called the first opening part of this, uh, this book, was the first, I think I said the first 14 verses of uh, chapter 1, that was an error, it was uh, the first 18 verses are the, are the prologue. So anyway, when I remember that I make mistakes, I at least want to come back and correct them. Uh, if not, some of you that are pretty astute will eventually do that anyway, right? So, and I'm okay with that. But, um, but uh, uh, what they were saying is that John must have had this incredible relationship to be able to understand, at least to be able to put down on paper the intricacies of the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned here in John 1, at least this particular portion of John 1, but it is implied because when we read in the beginning, it should, in our minds, take us back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, and it talks about the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so uh, there, there's this creation idea that, that is interwoven, uh, at least implied in this particular passage. Um, and so this morning, I'm going to read to you out of the New American Standard 2020. I'm just going to read the first five verses. And, and hopefully we're going to get through all five of those verses uh, this morning. And then I'll probably switch gears and, and work out of the New King James. But it tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning concerning this wonderful passage, or give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Lord, I pray that you would give me ears to hear that those, those areas that, that, that I feel led by you to, that we should touch on, and maybe some of those areas that we just let go for now. And yet we thank you, Lord, for this incredible book that testifies of the greatness of who you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Last week we looked at verse 1. Tried to get into verse 2, didn't quite get there, but it, it talks about in the beginning. Um, 
the Greek word arche, which talks about this very, very beginning. And it really, uh, many of the, the early fathers really felt that this was talking about the beginning prior to creation, wherever that was. It really takes us into eternity past. And I spoke about that last week. And, and this idea of eternity past really does blow my mind because does it, it, to me it doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. How is it that God is eternal into the past, never having a beginning, never will have an ending? How does that even make sense? Well, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I've heard all kinds of illustrations, and I like them, and they help me, but I, I've had to... As I spoke about last week, referring to Augustine, if I believe, if I believe, then I will understand. And so I have to, if, if this is God's word, all right, if it isn't, what are we doing here, right? But if this is God's word, and I believe it is, then it has things to say to each and every one of us. And even if I don't understand them, I want to embrace them. I want to embrace them with the hands of faith. I want to walk in them. I want to pray for and, and seek out and ask for understanding. And, and I've only been studying this passage for years. And, and I, you know, I'm, I feel like, the, again, I said this to you last week, too. I feel like we're barely touching the hem of the garment of the greatness of who God is here. And, and you know, and... and and I can, I can read this, or you can read this. And here's, here's, the, here's the problem. You may not get all this this morning. First of all, you got me teaching you, so that's the first problem, all right? You may not get all of this this morning. But what do you do with your questions? What do you do with those things that you do not understand? What do you do with those things that don't really quite make sense? I know some people just discard them. They toss them. They throw them away. They're done with them. doesn't make sense, so therefore it can't be true. Well, who made you the one who makes that decision? I mean, really. I believe in order that I might understand. And so I look at this, and, and with, with my limited knowledge, I look at this and I'm saying this is so far beyond my ability to fully comprehend, but it is incredibly wonderful. It is incredibly deep. And it is the eternal God attempting to explain himself to an infinite, excuse me, finite, a finite human being. So he tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. In that very beginning was the word, the logos. We talked about this last week and the logos was with God. That speaks of what? A distinction. And then he goes on to say and the logos was God. Which is interesting, and, and, and somebody asked me a good question referring to the grammar, so I did some more looking in the grammar, and that's why I almost just stayed in chapter, verse 1 this morning, it is that 
in the Greek, these words, there's, the word God is given to us three times in two verses, right? God is given to us three times in, two, in these two verses, and it's always singular. It's always singular. And so you, you have this, this paradox that's already built into these first uh, two verses, or even in this first verse, but it tells us that the word was God. It's a claim that Jesus is, in fact, God. But it is also a claim that Jesus is with God. Does that make sense? <laughs> Some of you are saying, yeah, it does. Okay, you're farther along than I am then, maybe. But in, in, to, to a lot of people, that doesn't make sense because it's a paradox. Because there's tension. And, and without going into many examples, which I'm really tempted to do so, how much of the Scripture calls us to walk in tension and calls us to walk in paradox? And, and to hold two seemingly contradictory truths in tension with one another. The free will of man, the sovereignty of God is another one. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't pass that up, all right? But we're called to walk in that tension. What's interesting is there are people who come and knock on your doors. And they like this verse because they like they've they've changed it around. And what they do is they'll read in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. And they'll tell you that that's how it should be translated. I invite them in. I like talking to them, but they don't normally stay in the house for very long. But. Anyway, um, well, first of all, a couple of things. So I'm backing up into verse 1. Couldn't resist. A is what? It's an article. It's part of speech. It's an article. And they will try to tell you all kinds of things that try to confuse you about, well, because most of the time nouns in the Greek have articles in front of them, which they do, but not always. There should be an article, the article A in front of, and the word was a God. Well, first of all, it's not in the best manuscripts that we have. That article is not there. Second of all, and if you want to you wanna sound like you're real smart, you can try to throw this curveball at them. Well, it's not really curveball because it's the truth. Because where it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, that is a noun in the accusative case, all right, accusative sense, and the word was God. That is also a noun, but it's not accusative, okay? Don't worry about these titles, all right? It, but, but let me throw another title at you, all right? And then we're going to move on from this. It is in the nominative predicate, predicate, uh, predicate. You're like, what in the world is that? I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, what that does is the nominative predicate, it re-identifies the subject of the sentence. That's really important. It re-identifies. The, some of you are getting this. Some of you are still kind of like, okay, I'm sort of falling with you. I should have I stayed awake during the English class, but I was sleep, tired the night, you know, stayed up the night before. It re-identifies the subject of the clause. What is the clause here? The word was God. What? that noun God does is it re-identifies the word. And so what it is telling us is that the word, the logos, 
is, in fact, God. It is identifying who the Logos is. Does that make sense? You say, you say enough of that, you'll get rid of the Jehovah Witnesses. Okay. They'll, they'll leave. Um, it, or send them to my house. I, I love talking to them. Um, but they don't stay long, like I said. Uh, it's a declaration of the fact that Jesus, the Logos, we went to verse 14 last Sunday. The Lord became flesh and dwelt among us. It basically renames or reclassifies who the Logos is. Not, he's not just the word of God, but he is God. That's what the word declares. That's what the Bible declares. That's the structure of the, and the mystery of the Trinity. That, that, and, and I've heard the H2O. I've heard the egg. I've heard all these analogies, and, and they sort of do it for me. You're following me on this, right? Okay. Because an egg has a shell, it has a white, it has a yolk. Those are three, but it's one egg, right? And water is frozen, is vapor, and is liquid. Okay, it's three different, different elements of the water. And those sort of do it for me. But I think the thing is, is that, that God in his own understanding has kept his, his nature, the triune nature of God, at least far enough away from us to fully comprehend because I think if we fully comprehended everything there was about God, we would be tempted to become God, at least in our own thinking. So then he caps it off in verse 2, John does, when he says, He, that is the word, he was in the beginning with God. John Chrysostom, 4th century. He says, Right here in this second verse, it is a declaration of the Logos, Jesus. It is a declaration of his co-eternity with God. So Jesus, who existed beyond eternity past, exists into etern- beyond eternity future. Again, when I start thinking of those things, I'm popping fuses, and I can go back to my notes to stay in the game here. Right. But but it's a declaration that not only was he with God. But he was God. See, so there are other groups who say that God came around, came along someday. God came along back in eternity past. God was here and he got lonely. So he created Jesus and then because we're going to go into the creation narrative really quick in, in verse three. And so that he created Jesus so Jesus could create the whole world. It's wrong. That's not what this is saying here. This is a declaration of the co-eternity with Jesus Christ. And so furthermore, not only was he existing with God the Father as God in eternity past, but as God He creates the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1 is very clear. In the beginning, what? In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. Is that just a reference to the Father? Not according to John, it's not. So John assigns the co-eternal dwelling of Jesus Christ, who 
comes in the flesh. He comes in the flesh. It fascinates me. Because if he were here in the flesh today, he would, he would, he would look really probably like just one of us. You know how in some of those, some of those icons, and, and I understand the use of icons, and I, I've done some reading on it, and it, it, at least it makes sense to me. But you know how in the, some of those icons, they have that, like, that little halo glow thing that they have around their head? He wouldn't have one of those around his head. He would look just like Larry. Well, maybe not. Anyway, but, but, but he, would, he would come in the appearance of man, Philippians tells us. Taking on the second nature of humanity. God in the flesh who dwelt in eternity past, who created the heavens and the earth. And it says that all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. John's taking us back again the second time. He did it in verse 1. He's taking us back a second time now in verse 3, back to Genesis 1. And it, it, it says here, all things, were, all things came into being through him, or in the New King James says, all things were made through him. All things were made through him. Now, what's interesting about this use of the word made through, all things were made through him, uh, it, it is the Greek word egoneto, which I probably mispronounced. Uh, but it refers to something that came into being, something that began. Now, each one of us, did we not come into being? We were We were born. Some of us a very long time ago. But anyway, uh, we were born, right? And we came into being. Which is interesting that, that, that John uses this word where it says that all things were made because it's, it's, a, uh, it's a comparison to verse 1 where he says the beginning was, which is a, remember what I said last week? It is the verb to be. The verb to be means existence now, but it's in, 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 in perfect tense because it talks about something that happened in the past but is continuing today. It's a reference to eternity. And so you have this comparison to, to the one who was in the past continuing even unto this day without any reference to that continuing action stopping he made all things they had a beginning the earth had a beginning now your mileage may vary uh, yeah i'm gonna go here i don't think that was millions of years ago that's just my opinion all right your mileage may vary on that I mean, who was here to tell us it happened then? Carbon dating doesn't work well. If you've done any research on that. And, and to me, a young earth really just makes more sense, but I threw that out there just for free. 
but all things were made through him. That is, it's referring to the fact that he is the creator of all things. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, I have it in front of me, so I'll just read it to you. It says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Think about that. Visible and invisible. What does that mean? Spiritual and material? Yeah, I think it means that. Also, are there, are there things that are material that are beyond our ability to see? Unless you have a microscope? All things were made. Visible and invisible, whether, now get this, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. It's talking about the power structure both in the physical world and in the spiritual world. Jesus made that, according to the book of Colossians. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. You ever think about that? In him all things consist? So this is where my mind really starts to get to blow circuits. This idea of in him all things consist and I don't know a whole lot about atomic structure. I've never really been all that interested in it. Probably should do some more reading about it. But you have the electrons and the neutrons and the protons and the nucleus is filled with what? think it's a bunch of electrons which are negatively charged how is it the something that is the same charge able to be held together if you play with magnets what happens when you bring the poles are on the same charge well they do they repel it says here in colossians that in all things all of uh, he created all things and in uh, in him all things consist now i think the physicist would tell you that it's some type of if i remember correctly it's some type of Atomic glue that they refer to. Now, how do they know? Anyway, but they refer to it some type of atomic glue that holds these electrons together. But what I believe Colossians is telling us is that, that, that Jesus holds the atoms together. And he holds both the inner and the outer universe together. In him, all things hold together is how uh, this uh, verse is translated in another translation. So all Jesus would have to do is let go of it. (laughs) And then what happens? And, And really, I think what this verse underscores is that our very life, our very existence is dependent upon him holding these things together for us. In in him, all these things consist. In him, all these things hold together. Now, when I I think about these things, I I think what, what an incredible creator that would create the world in such a way that even at times violating his own laws of physics 
which he could have done this any way he wanted to, right? I mean, he could have. But all things in him hold together, and then it, it tells us, too, that without him, all th- where it says, um, without him, nothing was made that was made. Which could also be translated apart from. In other words, apart from him, nothing was created. Does that sound like a sovereign God? Does that sound like a God who existed in eternity past, way back beyond what I or you or any of us can even comprehend? See, that, again, this, this whole act of creation, and, and there are different views again on this. To me, six days m- makes sense to me, all right? All right? This is the... Uh, the Genesis narrative really to me, even though there's, there's not discrepancies, but different accounts in chapter 2 and chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, chapter 3 is another thing altogether. But, but nonetheless, uh, it makes sense to me that, that God did all this in six days. Now, I don't think he slept a whole lot. Maybe that's why the seventh he rested. I don't know. But the interesting thing, the scripture even tells us that God spoke the world into existence. How do you, when you speak, what do you do? You form what? Words. Logos. And when you speak, not only are you forming words, but what do you do when you speak? You are exhaling breath. Spirit. The word spirit and breath are the same in both the Greek and in the Hebrew language. And, and so you have God speaking these things into existence. And, and then he goes on to say in, 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 uh, in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. Now, I've always, this one's always kind of puzzled me. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Okay, the first part makes sense. In him was life. If, if, if he holds all things together, no kidding in him is life. That makes sense to me, right? But was he not also the light of not only man, but also the light of angels? Was he not also the light of created universe? Was he not also the light of both visible and invisible existence? But it tells us here that he was the light of men. He was the light of humanity. He didn't appear to the angels as an angel. Got some of your attention. He did not appear to humanity. He did not appear to people as an angel. How did he appear to humanity? He came in the flesh. Now, notwithstanding, yes, I believe there are other passages in the Old Testament where there is a pre, it's called pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you see one of the book of Joshua, for example. I'm not going to take the time to look at that. But when he came and presented himself, he came in the flesh. He came as the light of humanity and coming in the form of a person. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being in the form, excuse me, being in the likeness of man. There's this idea of God, the creator of the universe, coming and being a part of us. Coming and having a unity of substance with us. Now, he never, he never stopped being God when he was in the flesh. That's important to understand. He veils, I believe. He, in other words, he kind of secludes his deity, but he never stops being God. You have this, this interesting person who was both humanity and divinity. He never stops being God, but he, it, 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 it wasn't like he was, and there were some beliefs, uh, even in the early church, that believed he was just kind of this phantom, right? Almost like a spirit, but not quite. No, he, he was actually flesh and blood. And he comes as the light to man by being a man himself. No wonder we're told in the scripture that he was tempted in all ways as we are yet without what? Sin. So when you're having a hard day, and I can't imagine any of you ever do, right? He understands because he's had a hard day too. I mean, if you, and we're going to get into this more and more, but particularly in, in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, the stuff he had to put up with with his disciples, I would have fired him. And I would have rehired him just so that I could have fired him a second time. You know, talk about a thorn in his side. You know, always arguing. Remember what they were arguing about? You remember what they were. I've told you guys this many times. What did they argue about more than anything else? They argued about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And I, and I, yeah. and I can hear the, the Jewishness in the Lord Jesus Christ now going, oh, yay, right? No, really, having to put up with this day in and day out. But he presents himself to us in such a way that we can understand him. Because I, I feel like I've got John 1, 1 pretty well understood, the best I can, all right? I, I, you know, and, and I take it on faith. And, and, but as we're moving through, as we, well, we'll get there. As we go through this gospel, and we look at Jesus living life on earth in the same way that you did, but he didn't have an internet. He didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have an iPad. He didn't have a PC. He didn't have a telephone. 
didn't watch television, never went to the movies. I don't think he ever went on vacation. I know he didn't fly to Hawaii. I mean, first century Galilee. I can imagine the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit planning on when the fa- Jesus is going to come to the world. And, and, and they say, well, how about first century Galilee? I'm like, oh, what else you got? You know, I would have thought of something different. But, but Paul tells uh, Titus that it was in the fullness of time that Christ came. But he comes as a human so that we might understand him. So what this is really all telling us, among many, many other things, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the pain, and then he sits down at the right hand of the Father. He reveals himself to humanity by being a, a, a human himself. Revealing all those, the, really, the hidden mysteries of his divinity and, and yet showing it to us in a way that we can understand. And then in verse 5, and we're almost done. See, I can get through more than one verse when I try, huh? Anyway. It says, and the light shines on the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines on the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, tells us, for you were once darkness. Notice it didn't say you were once in darkness. It says you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. That's describing a change of nature. Why is it then, and we all I think we all do it in one way, shape, or form, why is it then that we who are people of the light still want to walk in dark or be darkness? Especially when you get mad, Right? Because sometimes when I get mad, I don't want to be a Christian, right? You're that way? Not me, right? Not, not some of you. When I get mad, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be mad, right? And I want to show you. We're not in darkness. So remember that when you get mad this week. Because I know a few of you probably will, along with your pastor. But anyway, um, you are now, you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I think about those, these type of verses, and there are times in my life that I want to say, Lord, do I have to? You ever think that? Is it just me? You guys are much holier than I am, I guess. I don't know. Lord, do I have to? And he's like, oh, yeah. These things aren't suggestions. It's like, Okay. I'm going to try. You know, it, it's like that verse. I, I love that verse. It's in the Proverbs. I, I read it this week. I hope you guys are reading the Proverbs. I read it this week where it says, 
that, that if you see God chasing your enemy and you are glad, right? I'm paraphrasing. You see God ch- uh, chasing your enemy and you are glad and he sees it, he'll stop doing it. And I've had those times where I've seen God chasing my enemies and I'm like, I'm not glad. I am not glad about this. I am, I am, I am so not glad about this, right? The flesh and the spirit, we're at war together, are we not? Always. It's a battle. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to read that to you again. This is a good verse. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. What is that referring to? What's the illustration? It's referring to creation. But it's referring to much more than just that. Because it's referring to what God has done in your hearts. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the light of the glory of God, seek the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what this is telling us. Because I think we all have preconceived ideas of who God is. And probably most of those preconceived ideas are not good ideas about God. And so when we really seek the face of Jesus, as we look at as we look as we go through this gospel and really seek his face and really understand how it is that he deals with people and how much it is that he loves people and 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 how patient he is he's got you know John and James later on wanting to call down fire on people you know and he's like well we're not doing that it'll change your preconceived notion of who God is and convinced the light that shines in the darkness as we respond to that light. I've shared this with you before. As we respond to that light, that light begins to shine more and more. As as we are given the light, the understanding, this idea of of really an intellectual understanding of who God is, as we respond to the calling of God on our life, he begins to give us more light. He begins to give us more understanding. He begins to reveal more about him. And and I really, as I thought about that, isn't that what we really want? I mean, I haven't haven't graduated yet. I don't know about any of you. But isn't that what you really want? To know him more? To know more of him? To be able to see, to be able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Isn't that something you really want? 
Or do you just want to do it on your own? Navigate through life through your own understanding. Psalms or Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6 says to trust in the Lord below your heart, to lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will direct your paths. If you want direction in your life, then you're to, to uh, trust in him with all your heart and not to depend upon your own understanding because our own understanding is jacked up. Let's just face it. it it's, it's deficient. It says that he was the light of man. And the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not comprehend it. The New American Standard says the darkness did not grasp it. Uh, I think it's the Holman Christian Standard in the ESV, English Standard Version. I believe it says overcome, if I'm not mistaken. That it, the darkness did not overcome it. So is this, word, this word comprehend. It is the Greek word. See if I can, I can butcher it for you. Catalambano, so what, right? That's the word, catalambano, all right? It means to make something one's own. It usually can also refer to varieties of evil that try to hostily seize something. So it's, it's kind of a, there, there's two different ways to interpret this. The darkness that is antithetical to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ could not put out the light. I think that's probably the primary uh, thing that this, this verse is saying here. The darkness could not grasp it. It could not overcome it. Nor could it comprehend or understand it. First Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, I've shared this with you guys many times, that these things, this, the scripture tells us that these things are spiritually discerned and the natural man does not understand them. We need the empowerment, we need the assistance of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding of what his word is declaring. And again, I'm going to circle right back to where I started, that if you believe then you'll understand if you trust that this is what God's word is saying if you trust in this declaration and I think I've tried to give it to you pretty um, I've tried well I've, everybody has a bias right but I've tried to be unbiased by looking at what the language is saying If we trust that God is declaring who he is in his word and we believe to embrace that which he is saying in his word, then he'll bring us understanding. As we receive the light of God and respond favorably to it, he then gives us more light. Does that make sense? So I don't even know if I understood everything I just said over the last 30 minutes or so. But if we trust what God has declared, he will continue to give us greater light, greater understanding, and greater faith to trust him even more because he is a God who loves us that much. Amen?